Welcome to Ahead of the Game, a podcast brought to you by the Digital Marketing Institute. In this episode, we are once again going to gaze into the crystal ball of digital media, technology and marketing to see what's emerging that we as digital marketers need to be aware of. To help me on this journey are a whole host of previous guests and DMI experts in various fields, from careers and commerce to social media and SEO and much more. So first of all, I spoke to a very special guest, the CEO of the Digital Marketing Institute, Ken Fitzpatrick, and I asked him what he could see on the horizon. I think if we look at the new areas that people need to watch out for, our digital marketers need to be aware of, um, the first one is going to be an interesting one to watch. It's it's uh, the metaverse, uh, which is obviously Facebook or Meta's big bet uh, for the future. Um, and I think people should just watch with interest what happens there. But I, I think if, if I was going to focus on something to sort of get my arms around in that area, it would be how virtual experiences and physical experiences marry for companies, you know, both in an offline and in an online world in terms of product demos or customer experience. I think that's, if you were to analyze a piece of the metaverse that you can kind of uh, get your head around, it would be how does my product or brand live in a virtual experience environment? So things like interactive content could be a very simple way of, of testing out the the, the metaverse. Um, and the second area I think will is is AI. You know, it's been around for a little while um, and people are beginning to use it, but I think how it intersects with privacy is going to be really uh, important and something for people to watch out for in 2022. And I think that's going to be an increasingly important topic is how, how do you gather data while staying within the bounds of the requirements of privacy laws and the like. Uh, not the most exciting, but I think that's going to be more and more important. To look at things that will continue to be important uh, this year that, that sort of started not last year, but over the recent while, I think the role of influencer marketing will become far, far more mainstream um, even than it is now. Um, I think Forbes estimated that the influencer market is worth just under $14 billion now. So it's not going anywhere. And I think it's something that brands who haven't used it to date will uh, look to use on an increasing basis. Um particularly, again, how influencers intersect with video content, which is obviously still hugely important. So, um, And I think also B, as B2B as well as B2C, I think, on the influencer side. So I think that will be much more of an, a regular part of people's marketing mix um, as a percentage of the number of companies out there promoting themselves uh, via digital marketing than it maybe it has been in the past. Um, and another thing that will continue, and this again is a little bit more boring, but the regular stuff is just as important as ever. Well, you know, the content marketing, your SEO, paid media, mobile first marketing, None of that is going away. All of it is becoming increasingly important. So we're seeing things like virtual worlds and influencer marketing coming around again. And it's quite cyclical, isn't it? I mean, as technology and strategies mature and then they become more widely adopted and then they become better developed. And so when they come back, they're actually useful and then they become popular again something like qr codes will as an example have been around for years and years and every year they were the greatest thing you know 10 15 years ago they're going to change the world and actually have come into their own in the last 18 months obviously a lot of which has got to do with with covid and people using qr codes um on an increasing basis but that's something now that has got an application very much in the mainstream that people talked about a long, long time ago. Um, I remember building a WAP, a WAP mobile website many, many years ago, and it being the most difficult thing in the world to use. But of course, it was the precursor just to mobile uh, uh, websites and mobile marketing, which is now, again, just a fundamental part of of uh, of everybody's marketing mix. So you're right, things take time. They don't always develop the way maybe they're predicted to develop at the beginning. Um, but once customers like them and want to use them, then you've got to be right there uh, alongside the customer and understanding how they want to use it. Because um, otherwise you're going to get left behind. Um, I mean, uh, last year you and I talked about a trend around 
CX in, in the digital world and, and customers, because of COVID, being much more comfortable in dealing with, with a company or with a brand um, in an online environment. And that's here to stay. That's not going anywhere. So how's that going to develop? Well, things like conversational marketing, um, uh, things like omni-channel, you know, nice uh, bit of jargon, but but promoting your product through all the digital uh, channels as well as the offline channels is increasingly important because customers expect it's 2 a.m. in the morning. They expect a response to their query at 2 a.m. now and they won't wait until, you know, three days later to get a response in triplicate. Um, so, the, you know, the, this sort of frictionless conversational CX is, is going to uh, keep getting increasingly important. So that's a trend that kind of started some time back companies were forced to uh, develop it faster because of of the fact that a lot of physical outlets for example were closed for a long period but now customers are comfortable there and it's just going to keep developing okay so in terms of innovation and emerging trends how do we allocate resources to identifying and testing these there's no immediate roi if any at all but there does seem to be a first mover advantage to the brands who get to things early. So how do you think we manage that? Yeah, it's a good question, Will, because you don't want to be um, wasting resources either on items that don't produce a great return. But doing a bit, as you say, how much the bit is, is probably the question everybody needs to work out themselves. But doing a bit is actually a good idea. Um, because as you say, one or two may may transpire to be very important for your company. And in fact, don't necessarily have to be a, a a trend that all companies adopt if it works for your particular company. So I do think it's a good idea to test things as long as you're not diverting resources away from the fundamentals that are going to make the 95% of, of a difference. Um, it, it's that extra 5 or 10% that uh, that you can you can test and you can play around with. And, and if it doesn't work, move on, you know, and then maybe wait until so, until the technology adjusts to suit your particular customers. Um, but yeah, it's important to, to try things, but as long as it's not at the expense of, of the fundamentals that are actually making the biggest difference for you today in the business. And what should marketers be doing to adapt to these changes? I was I was looking at the the top in demand marketing jobs, and and they're all digital skills based. So let's not forget to upskill. Um, and obviously DMI can can play a role in that. But it uh, whether it's DMI or not, the it, the importance of upskilling is just here here to stay with the changes you and I have just talked about, and staying on top of not only new things but actually ensuring that you're you're just up to speed on, on all aspects of digital marketing. It's only getting bigger. It's only getting more important as a discipline and, um, and staying up to date is really, really important. So thanks to Ken there. So let's flesh out that overview of the landscape a bit further and hear from Brian Corish of Accenture Interactive, who I spoke to in the January 9th, 2022 episode about digital transformation. I mean, at a simple kind of operational thing, the, the what you're starting to see is customer journey orchestration um, So, and, and customer journey analytics. So typically in, in, in industries, you had big players, whether it's in marketing automation or CRM or whatever, who, who kind of were really good at functional, uh, functional things. So marketing automation, making that really good. And you've got big companies like Adobe that, that, that do that really well. Uh, and then you've got other companies that do billing and other companies, but there's new software that kind of sits on top of all of that and use, helps you use data to understand your customer journey. So you're able to see, yeah, I know you've designed this pretty customer journey on a whiteboard somewhere, but this is what your customers are actually doing. Mm. And it looks across systems. So you can sort of see, you can see, and it deploys relatively easy. So you can see okay, well, that, that, that's what our customers are actually doing. And then you can change it really quickly. You don't have to go off and spend the national debt of a small country uh, re-engineering all your systems to change it. Um, that'd be one. NFTs are really interesting. Mm. Initially, I kind of, oh God, not another one. Um, Just to explain what they are for our listeners. Uh, Non-fungible tokens. Um, so it's essentially, forget the, the technology for a second, but it's if you think about it as a way to prove that you own something uh, and then you think about how we interact with brands brands are irrational 
brands give us irrational decisioning, right? So uh, what NFTs do is sort of signaling. A lot of brands is around signaling. So why would you wear a Rolex watch? Well, you're kind of signaling I'm, I'm, I'm well off or I'm, I'm whatever, I'm successful. So a lot of brands are around signaling. Where you see NFTs and media companies is where you're going to start to see huge uh, transformation of, of, of companies. So if, for example, you saw this recently, I don't know if you, uh, Quentin Tarantino has started to create NFTs of uh, parts of Pulp Fiction. Mm. So you can say that specific shot with Samuel L. Jackson and um, John Travolta pointing the gun, that I own that. I own the original of that. Yes, there are lots of copies of it, but I own it. It's mine. And just to be clear, the 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 plat the, the the ledger on, on on which these these ownerships are recorded is is blockchain, and it's I think it's the Ethereum blockchain. And um, you're, you're you're starting to see a use for it now, right? You're starting to see mm. I can own this. I have this one of one thing, and it's a digital asset, but it's very much like a lot of brands around signaling, or a lot of brands around you know, look, look at me, I'm, I'm successful or look at me, I have this thing. And then you're starting to see NFTs and then the metaverse starting to pop, populate. You'll see luxury brands going in there and saying, actually, you can have this one of one outfit for your character. So you think NFTs in the metaverse is going to be quite a bit of um, integration there because, yeah, we'll, we'll need ownable assets and what have you in that space? That's exactly, I mean, it, it, assuming the, the, like, I think the metaverse is probably going to take more traction in, in business scenarios first, yeah. I think. Um, so, but as we move toward that sort of increasingly virtual world, digital assets um, will have value. And and I, I I will openly admit I was pretty skeptical over blockchain. I think some of the valuations have been nuts and Bitcoin for, and uh, for the past couple of years. But mm. and there's a lot of hype around it. But I think when that dies down, the idea of of guaranteed ownership of of a digital asset uh, will become a thing. It'll and and I think it can transform particularly media industries, sports teams, those sort of those sort of things where you've got kind of a, I want a one of one and it, that. That I think is is if not twenty twenty two, definitely twenty twenty three will become a thing. We might laugh at it now, and then we'll be like, "Oh, actually, yeah, I have this thing that I bought." Yeah, no, I can see that, and I can see actually why the metaverse, a metaverse or metaverses, would be the perfect um, platforms for that. You know, um, that does make sense to me. And yeah, I was quite excited. It was one on the weekend. I saw um, in, the, in the the Apple rumor mill got quite excited about the fact that Apple might be bringing out some AR glasses of some sort. Yeah, I mean, that, that's going to be really interesting because uh, if you look at like Google and Microsoft are two companies who are really great at kind of pushing the future of, of, of where things are going, um, but but usually a bit ahead of the market where the market is before the technology is ready. And I mean, if you remember Google Glass and people used to be called, what was it, glass holes? Yeah. I remember. But when Apple do it, Apple kind of have a fast follower sort of thing. They wait back a bit. They wait for the technology to mature. When they launch, it'll be really interesting. They'll get it right. Yeah, I think they will. Uh, mm. the, the other thing is mobility, the car. I mean, the when Apple's move in there, I think you'll start to see Tesla's share price have a pretty radical change. Um, but uh, that, that, that'll be very interesting if, if Apple move into the Apple mm. car because the car increasingly will become something that you'll think about the amount of time you spend that's yeah. that's how those these brands monetize they look at time spent in front of a platform so the car as the next big platform for digital experiences and interesting to hear brian's take on the metaverse there focusing on the need for a system of ownership in digital spaces and this is where non-fungible tokens or nfts could be essential so let's get into the details. What's going on in the various specialisms in digital marketing? So first of all, let's hear from Alison Battersby. She's been on the podcast a few times and she's a contributor to DMI's member content and courses. She runs social media consultancy Avocado Social. And so I asked her what's emerging in social media. So potentially not a new trend, but TikTok has been on the waiting line for a while now to become one of the biggest used apps in the world. The growth of TikTok over the last year has just been phenomenal. And they're definitely in the billions of users now. So 
they are competing up against the likes of LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest. They're not quite as big as Facebook, but we know that Facebook are certainly worried about TikTok because so many of the TikTok features are beginning to filter into Facebook products. Mm. I think definitely in 2022, more brands will be taking TikTok more seriously. It's not just a passing trend or a fad to do a quick dance routine or have a go at a challenge. It's certainly become a really interesting way of reaching a young audience very quickly with minimal budget. Videos on TikTok are put into the algorithm in a very fair way compared to other platforms like Instagram. TikTok doesn't look at how many followers you already have or how long your account has been established for. It simply looks at the quality of your content. So if your video on TikTok is something that's engaging people, people are watching it through to the end, and if people are watching it over and over again, it can actually perform incredibly well. And that's how videos can go viral on the platform. So we've seen quite a few examples over the last year, and I'm sure we're set to see many more in 2022, of brands and usual customers who don't really have much of a following going viral. So they're suddenly seeing a huge amount of viewers on their videos. And then of course, those videos are being picked up by the media and press as well. So one of the examples I love to share is the Mick Fleetwood skateboarding down the street, drinking some cranberry juice, which actually was a meme that was started by an influencer who maybe, you know, only had tens of thousands of followers, but actually that video ended up gaining millions of views and Mick Fleetwood himself actually parodied it and filmed his own version. What I've noticed certainly is so many brands have set up on TikTok in the last few months. So we're starting to see a lot of brands own their space, grab their username and claim their stake in TikTok, even if they're planning on using it or not, just so that they own that area. And we're seeing a lot of brands begin to experiment. And the brands that kind of, in my mind, are quite notable to take a look at are brands like Chipotle, They're doing a very good job on TikTok, using a lot of their employees to create the content. I love following brands um, like Disneyland, who are doing amazing tours and exclusive behind the scenes content that you wouldn't normally get to see. And then there's lots of tiny niche businesses, small businesses who are creating a lot of funny, comical, uh, just fun content that's really laid back and doesn't take a lot of planning, um, which you can see they're just having a go at TikTok and seeing what uh, success they can see out of the channel. So do you think brands are kind of less scared of TikTok, but also taking it more seriously as a channel? Yes, definitely. I think for a while, TikTok was sort of met with an eye roll and, oh, isn't that just for the kids? Whereas now that we see a lot of influencers like Gordon Ramsay, we also see, um, you know, older celebrities, even Rod Stewart is on TikTok and doing very well on TikTok. It's suddenly being respected as a platform. And I think people are beginning to see actually we can reach a lot more people on TikTok than we can do here than maybe on Instagram or Facebook. So it actually is driving results for brands as well. Okay, that's great, Alison. Any other trends you're seeing on the up? Definitely. So one of the biggest trends that I've been very involved in is social shopping, particularly on the build up to Christmas this year. So many brands were looking at getting their shops online on Instagram to ensure that their customers could purchase products through the app and also navigate and discover products that businesses are selling through the app. The big trend that we'll see this year is actually being able to purchase without leaving apps. 
So at the moment, you have to click on a tag on Instagram for a product, and then that will send you through to a website. Whereas what we will begin to see in 2022 is the ability to save your payment information within TikTok or Instagram and simply make that payment without leaving the app. Incredibly powerful stuff. Um, TikTok have just partnered with Shopify. Instagram are making huge developments with their shopping uh, area within the app. So I think social shopping is just set to become absolutely huge this year. Um, I know other platforms do allow it as well. So YouTube are looking at enhancing their shoppable tags within YouTube videos. And also you can do shopping on Pinterest as well. So it's definitely a trend that all of the social media platforms are looking to respond to. Right. So we can market through the funnel driving awareness, engagement, and then the sale, all in social media. Absolutely. And it's the brands that are thinking smarter about how they're presenting their shop windows. So not just relying on one photo, for example, you know, having three, four, five different images per product, adding keyword-rich descriptions within your Instagram shop. There's the ability to create collections now in Instagram shops. So actually spending time to put together gift suggestions or perhaps, you know, summer or autumn collections so that it's far easier and a better experience for customers who are exploring your shop on Instagram. I think the other trend that, of course, everybody does seem to be talking about and this, again, is quite Instagram specific, but it is the enhancement of video content on the platform. So back in the summer of 21, uh, Instagram CEO made the announcement that they were actually going to kind of change their strategy slightly to lean in to more video based content. And with that, we've seen developments in the app, including reels. We've seen the integration of IGTV and feed into just one product called Instagram video, which now sits in a separate tab on your profile. We're seeing experiments of making stories longer. We're seeing experiments with more uh, effects being released in reels. We're seeing more video advertising um, formats being available to purchase within Facebook Ads Manager. So as, as a whole, Instagram have noticed that their audience are responding extremely well to video content. They no longer want to be known as a photo sharing app. They want to be seen as a big entertainment app. And with that comes the new video formats that they're experimenting with. So if you are really thinking about your Instagram strategy for 2022, I think it has to be leading with video content and really starting to think about how you can integrate more video, more reels, more stories, more GIFs into your Instagram feed. But from marketers I talk to, I think many of them are still intimidated just by the prospect of creating video. It seems very hard or very expensive. Yeah, and actually what I've definitely noticed is it's far easier to create video now. So platforms like Canva, for example, for graphic design even allow you to create video content really easily. You can animate some of your existing graphics with just slight movement and GIFs completely for free as well. You know, it's not a difficult thing for any non-designer to do. And then I think with that comes the, the increase in lo-fi video. So what we are seeing is a lot of people are getting involved in video, which is great, but they're not necessarily worried about the production values of a video. TikTok, I think, has led the way in how you can create a poorly lit you know, the sound not so great video, but it can still go viral. It can still perform well. And I think, you know, during the pandemic, we saw a lot of at-home video content being made by big brands. And that has made us 
I think, much more open to the fact that we can consume video content without it being the best quality possible. There is a huge digital skills gap in that every brand out there is really looking to enhance their capability in digital marketing. But a lot of people are struggling to find the talent. So one of the things that is very much on the agenda for businesses this year is to upskill their staff. And also many employees out there or professional individuals are looking to enhance their own knowledge around particularly things like social media ROI, social media advertising and content creation. Those are kind of the three areas I think where a lot of people feel they need to upskill and that's where the demand is in digital marketing as well. Thanks, Alison. I suppose it comes down to changing demands on our skills as marketers. It's just always on us to be learning and developing. So consider how TikTok could be part of your strategy if you haven't already. Focus on video content to serve your audience and get upskilled through certified training. And I think now would be a good time to mention that you can join the Digital Marketing Institute for free at digitalmarketinginstitute.com because now is always a good time to start expanding your skill set. Whether you take a course there or not, you'll have access to loads of case studies, templates, guides, resources. It's all waiting for you there. Anyway, talking of the DMI, my next expert in the trends hot seat is Mishka McInerney. Mishka is the CMO, the Chief Marketing Officer of the DMI, and I asked her what trends were on the horizon from her perspective. Uh, first trend we're seeing is really, it's on the back of COVID, I would think. I think COVID's maybe accelerated this, but it's that me versus we dynamic. Um, so what I mean by that is on the me side, you've got this kind of people have a, have a greater sense of agency. Um, people are... Um, rising up uh, and kind of revolting. Um, and what I mean by that is like it, in the workspace, you can see a greater sense of agency with people not wanting to or wanting to return back to work on their terms. Um, we also saw a 61 million um, sideline businesses set up last year in the US. So people are setting up these kind of small little nixers on the side where they're earning money on the side. So there's a bit of a less reliance on the corporate um, America or the corporate. So people have their own sources of income. So they're they're creating their own sense of agency. And then you have this kind of juxtaposition of like this we dynamic where you have we're not a, we're not safe to we're all safe on, on COVID. Um, and you have people wearing masks as part of that and kind of the collective um, well-being. Um, and I think that's a really interesting to see how that plays out. And, um, you know, how do brands interact with that kind of psyche? Um, you can see the emergence of uh, supporting companies that help people with that greater sense of agency and kind of not that kind of traditional nine to five job. You can see more of a gig economy, you know, the digital nomads, but you can see businesses sprouting up to support that. So you can obviously you've got uh, Patreon, you've got Substack. Um, you also have um You've got Lily, which is a bank that supports uh, freelancers. Um, the, they, they assess their credit risk not in the traditional way that banks do. So they look at their income, they average it out, and it's a different uh, credit risk model. So um, so you can see businesses sprouting up uh, a little bit more um, to support that kind of, that that me culture, that, that greater sense of agency. And then I suppose on the we side of things, you can see like, uh, Netflix have um, you can watch shows at the same time on Netflix um, so you can have um, and then I know Apple Music can't remember the name of the but it, you can listen to music at the same time so technically you could have a house party with your mates all listening to the same music all tuning into the same you know all over Zoom at the same time or you know so there's um, there's interesting things emerging from that um, and you can see a kind of that kind of tension between that kind of me versus we. Yeah. So what about the relationship between brands and consumers? Years ago, you had the brand could say whatever they wanted 
um, and people ha- believed them because there was no, they couldn't, couldn't verify what they were saying. And then you had social media where you could verify because people could, you know, get information from, you know, reviews or ask peers. So you had this kind of leveling of the, the power dynamic between brands. But now you've got, or not leveling, I suppose the, the, the power went back to the consumer, but now you have consumers very much in control and they, they're they choosing to interact with brands on their terms. And you can see that the power dynamic shift. And I suppose, what does that mean? Um, I think instead of brands going for the right message to the right audience at the right time to connect with them, it, it's probably going to be something like the the right answer to the right question at the right time. <laughs> because they're going to interact with you on their terms. They'll ask you the question for the information that they want. You don't push information at them. They, they'll consume the information as they need it. And I think there's a little bit of a, a shift at the moment. You can see that um, 17% of, of Google searches are now questions. Um, uh, it was 8% uh, in 2018, so it's quite a jump. Um, so that conversational marketing where they're asking questions and you're helping them through a process and you're helping them understand things um, and you're giving the control back to the, the, the customer and you're helping them rather than talk, talking at them or talking to them or pushing stuff at them. I think that power dynamic of that greater sense of agency will start to play through. Mm, OK. And what else are you seeing out there? I think there's some interesting things happening in the environment space. So I think companies have done a lot of uh, greenwashing uh, and uh, and I think they're being hold, held accountable a little bit more. Um, and I, I think a few years ago, if you said to me what was going to be the biggest shift in, in, in environmental impact, I would have said government legislation. But I think differently now, and I think it's probably going to be more consumer-led, and I think it probably has to be consumer-led. But I think there's been some a number of kind of periphery factors that have maybe driven that. So um, during COVID, uh, there was a, a study by the University of Vermont, um, and 67% of people said that they were more felt more connected to nature during COVID because life became more simple. People were out and about outdoors getting fresh air. Uh, creating headspace for themselves. So I think there's kind of like more of an affinity with nature now. And then you had, on the other side of things, then you had a bit more of a, the supply chain was cut off, semi semiconductor supply chain, that people couldn't get workers. Uh, COVID restrictions um, meant that the production lines in, in you know, in Asia uh, were cut short. So uh, and then you had the Suez Canal, so that but so so people were forced to maybe not buy things that they would normally buy or buy less of them, but they were forced to do it, and they're not the worse off because of it. And they, or even when they couldn't necessarily go to the shops during COVID, they're not they weren't the worst off for it. And I think people have maybe that hyper consumerism, that landfill fashion, all of that kind of stuff. I think that's slowing down now, and I think. The, the environmental momentum will start to gather from consumers, but in a real, in a real way. And you can see some brands responding um, in an authentic way. Um, and there are audit companies now that will audit you and give you a certificate to make sure you're not greenwashing. And I think that's good because uh, there's it, there's been a lot of that over the years. Um, but say like. Brands like H&M for some of their and other stories. I've got a, a clothing line called and other stories. They you can rent those uh, the clothes there now. Um, they've set up kind of they've teamed up with rentals. And then there's other companies like ThreadUp that help you. You can go through your whole wardrobe and see um, what's the carbon footprint of the clothing that you buy and and, and things like that. So it gives the the power back in the into the consumer to understand their impact on the environment. So. I think that's really an interesting space. We've been hearing lots about the metaverse. What's your take on that? Like, if you think about it in its very, very purest way, right? It's it's uh, being part of a digital uh, community or a digital universe. Now, if you think about it, right? If you look at your phone, how, how long do you spend on your phone a day? That 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 is a, a different. That is not reality. That is something that is happening. you know, in a different universe. How how often, how long do we spend on Zoom calls? That's that's a kind of a virtual space. 
Um, so that is, in its sense, in its purest sense, uh, you know, the early derivative of of the meta the metaverse. And I think COVID has accelerated our acceptance to be virtual, communicate virtually. So I think that is kind of accelerating the pace at which we go towards the metaverse. But I think in the future, I think it will be a place where you can go and experience um, a different life um, or um, be an extension of yourself and explore a new uh, universe online, make friends online and everything will be and and I don't think it's going to be, you know, uh, kind of a, a fantasy world. I think it'll be a real world um, uh, or very close to a real world. But you go into it and you can dip in and out of it as you, as you want. That's the kind of trajectory of it. Um, and you can see with, say, the, the likes of Microsoft buying Fortnite and you can see all the big players trying to let their claim on the uni- of the metaverse. And then you have... Um, you have other players, you know, Web 3.0, where they want to democratise. They want everyone to be able to own the metaverse. So there's a bit of a power play there in the background. Um, I think <laughs> I was actually, I was thinking about an, uh, the metaverse and um, my daughter, um, Roblox usage, usage went up by 42% last year. My daughter plays it, right? And she asked me for money to buy uh, clothes. And I was like, <laughs> right? And she, she, she bought She'd asked me for money to to build buildings and shops and stuff like that. So that you know, but she's asked me for my clothes. I said, "She says my clothes are really ugly, mum." <laughs> I was like, "Okay." I said, "But do you care what you look like?" And she said, "Yeah, mum, I I, I want to look nice, you know." And um, and I was like, "Wow!" I said, "Like she really sees this character as a, an extension of herself, walking around, going into the shops and get interacting with people, swapping stuff with people, and um." <clears throat> And I think that was really interesting that it, it's it's almost an extension of herself. And like brands like Nike have set up Nike Town in Roblox and uh, they have uh, terms um, patented um, uh, and things patented for the for the uh, universe. So they're uh, for the metaverse. So they're really setting themselves up. So I think that's a really interesting space. I don't like I think there's a lot of hype around it and, and definitely driven by Mark Zuckerberg's changing the name of Facebook to to Meta. But I think there is a bit of interesting things going on, like Stella Artois, obviously with horse racing cancelled, physical horse racing cancelled, and they were big sponsors of horse racing. Um, was cancelled in the physical world, but they actually sponsored a virtual horse racing competition where you could uh, train horses and exchange horses using NFTs. You know, <laughs> that's that's kind of cool. There's a lot of brands expect that. That's more experimental. It's not like your Burberry's doing your fashion line on, and that's a bit obvious. You know, there's some interesting interactive stuff happening in that space from a brand perspective. Thanks to Mishka there. It's interesting to think about how our relationship with companies has changed, is changing, and how that might manifest in our parallel digital lives. Well, let's look at e-commerce now. What's going to happen there? A regular DMI contributor, Cahal Malin, shared his thoughts with me, starting with general commerce trends. And then we got to talking about Google Ads changes, Google Analytics 4, and the effects of cookie deprecation on customer data. It's really about planning. It's about that return to a sense of normality we had. You know, previous in the COVID years, we were pretty assured what was going to happen each quarter, each month, each day, all that stuff. 2020, 2020 certainly was a, a total kind of anomaly. We never knew what was coming down the line. It was up, down, lockdown, this, that, and the rest. 2021, we saw a kind of return to a sense of, without being cliched, a new normality. And while I don't think 2022 will be like 2019 or previous pre-COVID years, it'll be a blend between 2021, 2019, because, you know, there's the kind of the new COVID trends that we're seeing. The big one I saw actually in 2021 was the gap between May and July. Nothing in retail happened between May and July because typically People went away on holidays, May, June, July. That's where all their expenses were going. And that didn't typically transfer across into retail. So retail sales did drop in May, June, July of 2021. And it expects something similar 
in 2022 as well because people are anxious about travel and stuff. So we're going to see a repeat trend in that. But all the other predictable stuff is going to be there. So what brands are looking to do is hook onto predictable events in the year of unpredictability. unpredictability. So that's what I'm kind of seeing. So it's just we know these things are going to happen. Cyber Monday and Black Friday were cracking days last year. They were really, really good. Jingles Day, always really good within the within the Eastern markets. But if it's starting to emerge as a purchase holiday in the Western markets, then that's something to kind of, you know, uh, plan for. It's all about planning the known knowns, the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns. You know, we know things are going to happen. Let's not be as chaotic as many of the kind of campaign activities might have been in 2020. We've some sense of security from 2021. Plus, we've been we've done this rodeo before. We know what it's going to be like. So let's let's plan for it. You know, that's what I'm kind of seeing. So that'll be kind of my main main kind of macro trend. And then there's a couple of things we know are also going to happen in terms of digital marketing specifically. So outside of that kind of wider marketing sphere, we know that Google is going to sunset or at least stop running expanded text ads in July. So we need to start planning for our responsive text ads from now because we need to get their search history up and all of that and get them in the system. Because once July comes, those like those text ad types, which were the default in Google ads, will be gone. So we need to kind of bake in these new ad formats. Well, they're not new, new, but they've been around a while, but they will become the default. They're called responsive search ads. We need to get them into our campaigns now because once July comes, the old formats are gone. Uh, that would be one specifically from, from digital marketing. The other thing is Google Analytics 4, which you've been talking about a lot. Get it onto your website, get it recording data, um, get it understanding the movements of your site while cookies are still around because cookies are going to go. And that's another thing that we um, that we should kind of plan for as well is the kind of the sun setting of cookies. And people are panicking and people are thinking to themselves, how on earth am I going to do this? How am I going to work without cookies? But we've had the answer all along. We've had the answer all along in relation to cookies. So for me, I, I don't know if you've, if you've thought about it, Will, but like for me, the answer to it all has been email addresses because it is the ultimate first party data. When you have permission to use someone's email address in an advertising campaign or in a marketing activity under GDPR, you can just upload that into Google, into Facebook, into Twitter, into LinkedIn, into all of the different ad platforms. And you can effectively use that as a de facto cookie and then create lookalike audiences. So people who look like your customers, you have your customer list from your CRM, everyone who's bought from you, upload it to the platform. Now you have every, people who look like the same characteristics as those who've bought from you. It is a de facto way of replacing cookies with my most favorite form of online marketing, which is email, the oldest, most purest form of digital communications. Email hasn't changed. It's still sending an email, whereas social media, search, all these platforms have developed and changed. Email is still email. It is the purest form of internet identification. And when we have permission to use email addresses in, uh, in our marketing activity, that becomes the way to just uh, kind of circumvent this cookie thing. So use your email addresses. Um, it is, and it's it's been there all along. And I think that's the thing that people might have missed in the, oh, cookies are gone. What's going to, what piece of technology is going to replace cookies rather than what have we got already that's going to replace cookies? And I think a lot of that is got like a lot of, a lot of the kind of privacy issues we're going to see over the next couple of years will be changes in the more advanced kind of, you know, um, user monitoring technology. But let's kind of go back to basics. You don't need to monitor anyone who inputs a keyword into Google. You just need to know what they're typing into Google. You need to use your own intuition to go, this is what my customers type. So 
you know, search isn't going to be affected by cookies. Um, retargeting will, but as I said, we can use first-party data, i.e. email addresses. So building email lists will become more and more important. Thanks to Carl there for that. Now back to the DMI. Orla Stack is the Digital Marketing Institute's HR director. So she's got a pretty good view on the job marketplace out there in digital marketing in general. So I asked her what changes she has seen and is seeing on the horizon. If we don't move fast and if we're not meeting with candidates tomorrow, we're going to lose them to other employers because they're going, they're, they're moving as quick as well. So there's two parts. There's for an employer, it's going to be a huge challenge. Um, I read yesterday that um, in the UK, they're forecasting that they're saying that up to 60 percent of um, workers across the UK are considering changing their career um, in 2022. And for employers, then even looking at ourselves, it's retaining people. So we've got a fantastic team in DMI and it's all around wanting to retain that talent. So what are we going to be doing? And the candidates on the flip side, then when they're looking at roles and they're looking at um at opportunities. We're hiring actually eight new, we're adding eight new roles to the team um, this year. And what are they looking for is outside of, you know, the salary piece and, and the benefits, but um, flexibility, which is something that is, has come out of the, the last two years. And but the career opportunities as well. And what are employers doing to, to help, you know, whoever comes into the business or whoever currently is in the business, how can we help them grow? Um, so it's going to be a very challenging year, but I think for for candidates, for anybody that's looking for a change, it's, you know, they've got such a choice. I think that's there. And for us as employers, then it's the competition. Um, and it's always been a challenge for us. We've been, you know, we're competing against large organizations in Dublin um, and across the country as well now that, you know, remote working is here. And um, it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be a challenge. Um, but I think, you know, if, if employers are willing to, 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 to look at that flexibility piece and take a serious look at, you know, how they can develop people. I think, you know, um, they'll be able to compete. But 2022 is going to be interesting, definitely. So it's a candidate's market, but getting the most desirable jobs will surely always be competitive. So what should people be doing to give themselves the best chance of landing the job that they really want? I think it's, so they have to look at, it, it's down to like what, what are candidates looking for? So they actually need to take the time to sit back and think about, you know, where they see their career going and they need to look at where the opportunities are in the market. So as I said, the likes of the digital space is is huge and that's going to keep on growing. And they need to look at what their, where their current skill set lies. Um, are they looking for a change? And if they are looking for a change, then how can they get themselves upskilled um, and come to the likes of ourselves and look at the programs that we're offering and saying, right, you know, if I'm going to invest in my time, I invest in in my, I suppose, um, development and um, there are going to be so many opportunities that are there. And from an employer perspective, obviously it sounds competitive. So how do you attract candidates when they've seen what it's like to work at companies like Google? And and that's it's the one thing I've I've read quite a bit around this is this um, employer, the employer value proposition. So, you know, what is our EVP? And you are going to be challenged with the the likes of unlimited leave and you know all of these additional perks that are there but they're not the main drivers at the minute they might have been a priority two years ago um pre-pandemic but now having that flexibility and people are candidates are sitting back and they're thinking now um employees everywhere they're looking for okay how can i grow and develop in this role and they are looking for where those opportunities are so it's companies need to be open they need to be they need to be flexible. Um, the likes of of the the unlimited leave that's kind of dropped down the pecking order now, and companies need to be able to paint that picture of here's your career pathway when you join the digital marketing institute, and this what this is what it's going to look like for the next two years, and it get it allows a candidate to see the role that um, the company is going to play in their development, but also what they need to do. So it's kind of you know you bring your stuff to the table, and we'll bring ours, and we go on this journey together. And that openness and that honesty is going to be hugely important. And look, the world remote working has changed the way um, the way we look as what are, I suppose, how candidates and how employees are viewing the market and how employee employers view it as well. And um, 
it's it's painting that picture of what it is it what is it like to work in a remote environment and what's available to um, an employee and the supports that are there if you have a hybrid environment what that looks like and look at it it's been a concern for 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 companies and even for ourselves as well is you know we would have had a um a very people driven culture pre pandemic and um it was one of my big concerns um you know being responsible for the people function um you know what is the impact of us actually physically not seeing each other and missing those water cooler chats where you might solve a problem in five minutes um and it's it, it's missing those and how do we replicate that in a remote world and to be fair we've done a good job as a business over the last two years um working on that but we've been open and honest with the team we've taken feedback um we've taken feedback from candidates that we've interviewed we've taken feedback from candidates that have been onboarded as well to continuously improve as well so it's it's keeping that open conversation is, is hugely important and that's advice I'd give any employer or any potential candidate is candidates need to be asking those questions and employers need to be painting that that picture of what um you know what it is like to work with um, this company and you know how how often are you going to actually meet your team and you know being comfortable working in zoom and Look, it's, it's definitely changed the way we've worked. Now, when job seeking, what tips would you have for candidates? There's a huge importance in LinkedIn. We use LinkedIn as our main channel, channel for all of our recruitment. And the more information that somebody puts on their LinkedIn profile, it's it's of huge benefit. So I said, we've, we've, we've a couple of open roles at the minute and we do genuinely go through every application. One piece of advice I would give candidates would be make sure you're reading the job description. Um, one thing we have found is we'd ask for cover letters and 90% of the time we don't get a cover letter with the with the, with the application and we put it clearly there in the job spec. So it's important to, to actually read the, the, um, the, the job that you're applying for and making sure that you're answering all the questions that the, the employer is looking for. Um, but the profile and having your profile up to date and putting in as much information um, as possible. And we'll always respond back to, to candidates just with a notification to say we've received their 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 CV and give them feedback afterwards. Um, so, again, all the information is important. CVs are hugely important. And in the membership, in, in our platform, there is access to, um, you know, building out your profile, building out your CV. So it's important that, you know, people use that. Um, and having that information right and making it relevant actually is, is it's an interesting thing and I've noticed people do it a bit more now is making their CV, CV relevant to the role they're applying for so if somebody's applying for let's just say a HR role they don't necessarily need to put in that you know they spent you know five years working in events or whatnot they make it they make it um they make it relevant to the role. But again, it brings it back to if we're requesting a cover letter with your CV, we're asking for a reason. So, you know, I advise people to, to include that. Um, you can get so much in in a cover letter that gives, you know, a real snapshot or that elevator pitch of what your what your experience is and the CV then backs that up. Thanks, Ola. That's great. Now, let's talk to Brendan Almack. He is the Managing Director of Wolfgang Digital. They're a Dublin-based digital marketing agency. And I was interested to see just from his point of view, working on client campaigns and that kind of thing, what he's seeing emerge in the digital space. There's three big things on my radar for 2022, and hopefully they're on the radar for, for lots of digital marketers as well. The first one, probably no great surprise, um, it's around privacy, um, but a little bit different to how a lot of people are talking about privacy. I think we'll move from flapping our lips about it to actually doing something about it, hopefully in 2022. Um, Deloitte had a great... Um, piece of research last year which showed that 61% of high growth brands were planning on investing in first party data but then interestingly there was another piece of research from DMEXCO um, the conference in Germany um, that showed that 6% of brands don't have a solution figured out yet so it feels like this year we need to move from talking about it and um, to doing something about it and if that's the case, if people actually do that I think what we'll see is increased investment in things like email marketing and CRM solutions. Um, so that'd be the, the, the number one thing that I'd see happening. The second thing that 
that I forecast happening and hope does happen is that the gap between marketing and finance gets even smaller. Um, and what I mean by that is that the marketing team get a lot better at having conversations with the CFO or the, the finance director. The reason that's important is there's two reasons. Firstly, CPCs are going up um, in search and social. In social last year, they're up about 100%. In, in search, they're up about 50%. So that means it's getting more expensive. And if that's the case, you need to be crystal clear on the value that it's adding. And the best way to do that is to align really closely with the finance team to understand how your marketing activities are driving top line and bottom line growth. So really understanding that profitability metric. The second, competitiveness. Um, it's gotten it's gotten more competitive. Um, that's the case in Google um, with Facebook. It's competitiveness, and it's also I'd imagine that the iOS update has impacted audience sizes there as well. Um, the other reason that that's going to get it's going to be important to get closer to your finance team is around reporting. So as I mentioned there, because of iOS updates or because of cookie banners, transparency and reporting is getting a little bit more difficult. So really understanding um, the actual revenue or actual sales or lifetime value added by your marketing activities is going to be crucial. So lastly, trend number three. I think in 2022, uh, YouTube is going to explode in terms of investment from advertising. I still feel like it's a sleeping giant, um, but I think that the, the move away from linear TV, fragmentation with subscriptions, uh, streaming services means that more advertising spend is going to move to YouTube. Um, we haven't seen uh, Alphabet's Q4 results, but I reckon that YouTube is going to be up about 60% year on year, which is massive, but it's still only about 20% of linear TV advertising spend. So that the scope for growth or the head room for growth is absolutely huge and um, it's still super cheap you know really cheap cpvs um, and the big brands either aren't there or they're not doing it really well which means that everyone else can eke out a competitive advantage by having a, a you know a really smart youtube advertising strategy so i'd see investments start to flow towards youtube in 2022 and is that slowness to advertise on youtube because of the perceived difficulty of producing video assets I think that that's probably part of it, you know, and I'm, I'm potentially for SMEs that don't have a large creative budget, that might be a barrier. But YouTube have actually invested quite heavily in automating some of that. Um, there's lots of tools that Google now provide you with that allow you to really quickly build video assets that can be used um, as, as in-stream ads. I think previously there was a theory that you almost had to have something that was almost TV ready before you could use it on YouTube. That's just not the case. So it opens it up to, to a much larger cohort of advertisers. Um, and I'd, I'd see people starting to recognize it um, for that. And also for the fact that YouTube has now moved down the funnel. Like it used to be about you know branding or brand awareness. But again, Google have invested really heavily um, in being able to, to help people use it to drive action. Um, so there's now YouTube for action. And a lot of retailers have had um, enormous success over the last few months using YouTube to drive sales, which is a really interesting development. And we're going to see more of the Google Ads process automated this year, right? Yeah, so that's like, yeah, that, that's definitely going to impact the, the paid search elements. Um, that won't have as much of an impact on, on YouTube. But I, like, again, that's just another signal from Google that they now feel like their, um, their machine is smarter than every advertiser out there. Um, so for me, it's, it's just another signal that the, the way the industry is moving is more towards automation. Um, so like your job as a digital marketer isn't spending time working out which copy is going to work best. Your job is to give the machine a few options and let the machine do the hard work and tell us which copy is going to work best based on all the signals that they can, they can now use. And so what do we do now with less time spent creating ads? Put our feet up, uh, sit out in the sun, uh, work on the tan. Um, no, it's a great question. And like the, 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 the get out of jail answer is strategy, right? And then you're like, well, okay, well, what, what does that actually mean? Um, for me, what it means like in reality as a digital marketer is your job is to, to be crystal clear on the KPI and flex that KPI according to business needs. And what I mean by that is there could be times when your brand or your client is looking to drive top line growth or they might be focusing on margin and profitability. Uh, maybe they're looking at customer retention or they need, you know, a new customer acquisition. So aligning the strategy to the business need is going to be absolutely crucial. And then feeding the machine, right? So if you, you think about it, you and I are both running paid search campaigns. We're both using Google's tech. 
what's the advantage that we have? Well, one of the advantages that I can eke out over you is by giving the machine better information. So if I can tell them a little bit more about the value of the conversion, if I can upload some of my CRM details, then they have a better context around the customers I'm trying to target. So a general trend towards accountability, perhaps, and a coming of age for YouTube ads as advertisers realise their true value. Thanks to Brendan there. Well, it's time to talk to our final guest, Kate Toon. Kate joined us for the October 1st, 2021 episode of Ahead of the Game, where we talked about copywriting and SEO. I caught up with Kate to see what she's keeping a keen eye on right now. Well, for me, because I'm primarily concerned with copywriting and SEO, those are my two big things. So that's the area that I kind of look to for what's changing. Um, and as always, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. But there are two kind of one big thing that's coming up with Google, and that's really all around natural language processing. So we had an algorithm update um, a year or so ago called BERT, which was all about understanding how, like what we type into Google, not just what we're looking for, but why we're looking for it. So really understanding the context of the words. I think I talked about this on the previous uh, podcast, but, you know, understanding the meaning of what we're saying much better than we used to. And now there's a new algorithm update called Google Mum. Um, <laughs> they come up with these strange, like, Mum stands for multitask unified model. Um, but again, it's about looking for patterns in language, regardless of what that language is. So being able to understand language at structural level helps Google get a better, more sophisticated understanding of why we're searching for what we're searching for, ultimately to give us better results um, and serve us more ads. So yeah, really just, you know, this dominance of AI uh, and its ability to understand language in a way that it's never been able to before has a big impact on how we write copy, what we look for in terms of keyword research, and also the possibilities for automation of copy, which I know terrifies a lot of copywriters. Um, you know, that, that sophistication of the copy that AI can produce is getting better and better and better, which is a little bit scary. And we're seeing AI-driven copywriting tools like Jasper, that used to be called Jarvis, grow in popularity now. So will copywriters be leaning on automation more? I think a couple of things. I think SEO types are going to use automation to generate, uh, you know, kind of boring copy elements at bulk level, you know, title tags, meta descriptions, alt tags, that kind of thing. And I think, you know, obviously the dream is that we can get robots to write our copy for us. And I think for many businesses, it's a more affordable option. And even for copywriters, it helps you get over the blank page. Um, often the messaging isn't quite right. The order isn't quite right. The tone isn't quite right. But it can ha be helpful, especially with blog posts, to just generate some rough content to get you started. So, yeah, I think I don't think copywriters have anything to be scared of yet uh, because I don't think AI is particularly good at getting wit and slang and idiom and rhythm and tone just yet. But yeah, I think that's going to be a change to move towards more automation just to save time and save money. Yeah. And aside from content-led SEO, what other shifts are you seeing in search? Yeah. I mean, I think we're losing so much real estate on Google. There are more and more ads. Google's giving over more and more of the search engine results pages to its own products. You know, search for a hotel, you get Google's accommodation engine engine now so i think it's getting harder and harder to rank organic con content so we're moving towards more branded search from a tech point of view um you know i think obviously the core web vitals update last year was huge usability is still something google's pushing for not just in terms of speed but in terms of how your page loads and um, this talk which i think is great that accessibility is going to become part of the algorithm. So things such as, you know, making your page screen reader friendly, good contrast, font adjustability, um, image descriptions, and that we may see not necessarily people being deranked for not being accessible, but accessible sites being rewarded. So the push for usability, I think, is still big. Um, and then, yeah, I think other than that, you know, uh, image search is becoming a bit more of a thing for Google. Google Discover is changing the way that we uh, use Google. And, you know, sites that have really good imagery on them are starting to rank better. Google's getting better at understanding image content. So, 
it's again, it's the same things that we talk about each year, but they're just getting more and more sophisticated um, as each year passes, as Google gets better and better. Okay, so what should our listeners be trying in their own marketing amidst all this change? I think most people haven't looked at Core Web Vitals. They haven't got into their Google Search Console and checked out how they're performing on on Core Web Vitals. So that would be number one. I know it's not sexy. Um, The other thing I think as as a content creator and a marketeer is really moving towards answer based content. So Google's becoming less of a search engine, more of an answer engine. You know, it's harder and harder to rank in the organic space for just blank keywords, but it's still relatively easy to get a lot of real estate for question and answer based content. So really understanding your audience, their pain points, answering their individual questions, and so many different ways to phrase a question. Um, You know, maybe one other thing, sorry, I've given you three now, Uh, implementing FAQ schema on your sites. So FAQ schema, it's really easy to do. And then you have the opportunity to come up in the people also ask element on the search engine results pages as well. So yeah, core web vitals, um, uh, question-based content and FAQ schema would be three things I would look at. So a fascinating glimpse at how the digital landscape is changing from a range of perspectives there. I think what I took away from that is fundamentally digital is becoming more immersive as we clearly have a parallel digital life, the importance and the meaning of which is growing as the technology improves and draws us in. What place brands and marketing has there is yet to be determined, but anyone with a digital remit is duty bound to take notice and spend some time looking for opportunities there. In social, video is driving increasing immersion and the brands who can't produce that may get left behind. But as we heard, there are a growing number of tools that make video production very accessible. Aside from innovation, we heard repeatedly that the basics, the nuts and bolts of customer experience need to be good. Neither our customers nor Google and other platforms are making much room for poor online brand experiences in the future. So it's about good planning and processes internally and customer centricity as we put our brand out there. We heard about automation and AI and perhaps the extra time that we might gain through those new efficiencies can help us deliver on all of the above. Finally, in terms of our work life in digital marketing, it's a fantastic time to start or pivot into a digital marketing career. Opportunities abound, but to get the job you really want, you'll need to present yourself well online, and a big part of this can be done through certified training to show that you have the skills and the desire to excel in your work. So it goes without saying that you can gain globally recognized certification by taking one of the Digital Marketing Institute's courses. And for absolutely free, you can, of course, sign up to digitalmarketinginstitute.com to access a plethora of essential digital marketing resources. Well, that's it for this year's Trends episode. Lots of insights and tips for you to try and to focus on during the year. If you're new to our podcast, catch up with over 40 episodes covering all areas of digital marketing. And if you do like it, please leave us a review. Thanks for listening. And until next time, goodbye.